Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So yesterday morning... In houses across this country and even around the world, families gathered together to celebrate the birth of Christ and to rip into all of those presents that had been placed underneath the tree. But but if you're like my family, then Christmas morning is not the only celebration that, that you have at Christmas time. Between the Christmas parties with friends and all of the different gatherings, there are usually multiple Christmas celebrations. A a couple of weeks ago when my parents were here and my sister was here, we celebrated Christmas with my side of the family and we exchanged gifts. And and today, uh, this afternoon, we're going to be traveling up to Tulsa so that we can celebrate Christmas with Sarah's side of the family. And and so uh, when, when I was a kid, we had multiple celebrations like this every year as well. And, and so we would have Uh, Every year we would have a Christmas gathering with my dad's side of the family where my grandparents would come over, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, and and we'd have this big gift exchange. And and there's one memory of of these gift exchanges with my dad's side of the family that that particularly stands out to me. All of the cousins had already arrived, and and they had placed the, the presents under the tree. I think I was in junior high at the time. And the excitement and the anticipation for opening the gifts was just unbearable. And so my cousin Jamie and I, we decided that we were going to give hints to each other about what we were giving to each other that year. And so she went first. She gave the first hint. She told me what store that they had purchased my gift from. Now, I couldn't figure out what, what gift they had gotten for me, but I thought that was a pretty good hint. So I decided that that I was going to give the same hint to her. We would tell her where we had purchased her gift from. The only problem is, is I couldn't remember where we had purchased her gift. And so with my cousin sitting right there, I turned to my sister and I said, where did we buy Jamie's shirt for Christmas? (laughs) Now, I didn't realize what I had just done. Y'all caught that a lot quicker than I did. And my sister, she sat there looking confused and shocked, but I doubled down. And I said, seriously, where did we buy Jamie's shirt for Christmas? And when I said at that time, I realized what I had just done. I didn't just give my cousin a hint. I told her exactly what she could be expecting from us for for Christmas. So this morning, we're wrapping up our, our series titled... The coming. As, as we've walked through this series, we've looked at different passages in, in the book of Luke, and, and we've talked about the, the anticipation and the excitement that we experience every year as we lead up to this celebration of Christ's birth. But, but we also have talked about the anticipation and the excitement that those in Scripture would have been experiencing as they were waiting for and expecting their Messiah to arrive, the long-awaited Messiah. So let me just give you this reminder one final time. We don't have to wait to know our Messiah. Rather, because Christ has already come and because he both died and rose again, 
We can know our Messiah personally today. You don't have to wait to know the Messiah. Because Christ has already come and because he both died and rose again, you can know the Messiah personally today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Isaiah today. The book of Isaiah, we're going to look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And as you're turning there, let me say a few things about the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is one of the most comprehensive prophetic pictures that we have of Jesus. And we see the overall theme of the book of Isaiah most clearly in chapter 12, verse 2, when it says, Indeed, God is my salvation. Now, as you read much of Isaiah, what you will see is that there is a lot of judgment spoken to the people of Israel. So as we think about this this being a a book of a prophetic picture of salvation, how how can this be a picture of salvation while also speaking all of this judgment to the people of Israel? So the reality is, is that salvation is best understood when the need for judgment is realized. Salvation is best understood when the need for judgment is realized. So we see a lot of God's judgment throughout the book of Isaiah, but but it's because we understand very clearly this need for judgment that, that we are able to realize and understand how great this salvation is that we find in the Messiah, that we find in Jesus. And as we think about all of the Old Testament prophecies, including the one that we're going to look at today, we're reminded that God didn't just give mankind a hint about the gift that he was going to be giving us. Jesus was very clearly communicated by God to us. God made it very clear what the gift that we could expect from him would be that he would be sending us a savior for all of mankind. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoiced when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So as we look at this passage this morning, we're really going to focus in on verses 
6 and 7. And as we look at these two verses today, there are three things that, that we see here. First, we see Jesus came. First, we see Jesus came. What did the first part of verse 6 say again? It says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. As we read these words, we don't just see that Jesus came into this world, but we see how Jesus came. Jesus came as a baby. Jesus came as a son. Now, on this side of Christ's birth, we, we know that Jesus came into this world as a baby. We know that he came into this world as a son. So we really may not give this much thought. But, but understanding, remembering that this was a prophecy... The, the people of Judah were learning that the Messiah that they were waiting for, the Messiah that, that was to be expected, was not simply going to come into this world in spirit. Rather, the Messiah that they were expecting was going to come into this world as one of them. Jesus didn't just come into this world as spirit. He put on the flesh of mankind. He became one of us. Up until that point... Uh, people very easily could have believed that, that yes, God had created them, but, but maybe God really couldn't understand them. So you may have seen the show Undercover Boss on TV at some point in time. If you haven't, the premise of the show is that a CEO of a company, he, he becomes one of his own employees. So he puts on the uniform of an employee and he goes to work in disguise in his own company and oftentimes what we see is that the ceo learns more than than what he or she has planned and they're able to make their company even better for their customers but also even better for their employees now as humans as we turn our mind back to god god knows and, and understands each one of us Right? Even without sending Jesus into this world, even without becoming one of us, God understands us. He's God. He, he knows all things. He knows the inner workings of our minds. He knows, the, he knows all of our thoughts. God didn't have to become a human to become one of us. But, but I believe that by becoming a human, by putting on the uniform of his own creation... God was communicating something very clear to us. I understand you. Jesus came as a baby, and, and he became a, a man. He, he lived in this world. He had ten fingers and, and ten toes when he was born. He, he wept when his friend Lazarus passed away. He was moved with compassion at times. God became one of us, and he says this very clearly in doing so. I understand you. So let me pause right here and just ask, do you feel like no one understands you today? If you feel like no one understands you, feeling misunderstood, it can feel very lonely. It can feel very isolating. So do you feel like no one understands you? And if you are in that place today, if you feel like you are misunderstood by many. Would you be reminded of this once again? God understands you. Even if no one else in this world understands you, God does. God understands you. So we see how Jesus came, but, but we also see in our passage why Jesus came. Verse 6 tells us, For a child will be born 
for us. If you're taking notes, you can underline those two words, for us. Jesus came into this world, not just as one of us, but he also came into this world for us. As I said just a moment ago, we see all of these prophecies in the book of Isaiah of God's judgment. But, but not only were people familiar with God's judgment, they were also very familiar with God's law. The law revealed much to people. It, 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 revealed, it revealed mankind's inadequacy to live up to God's standard. It revealed mankind's inadequacy to live up to God's perfection. God's law revealed the truth that we read in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mankind in and of itself is inadequate to, to save itself. We are unable to do it. We cannot save ourselves. And so when it comes to God's standard, when it comes to God's level of, of perfection, we always fall short. This is a reality that, that we face today, but this is also a reality that they were facing when Isaiah was speaking this prophecy to them. And so understanding both the greatness of God's glory, the greatness of God's perfection, and also the inadequacy of mankind, and understanding the judgment upon mankind because of our inadequacy to, to save ourselves and our, and our inadequacy to, to be perfect. Understanding all of this, Christ coming into this world, not just as one of us, but Christ coming into this world for us is all the more paramount. But now let me make this just a little bit more personal. Christ didn't just come into this world for us. He came into this world for you. Jesus Christ came into this world because you are imperfect, because you fall short of God's glory, because you are unable to save yourself from your sins. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus into this world to die for your sins, to pay the penalty for you. Jesus did, didn't just come into this world for us. Jesus came into this world for you. So we see that Jesus came. Second, we see Jesus named. The very last part of verse 6 tells us, He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So during the candlelight service, I talked a little bit about Ethan's birth announcement since he was born on December 23rd. So when preparing for a child to be born, there, there's much that needs to be done, one of which is picking a name out for that child. And, and this can be exciting, but it can also be a bit stressful. You're literally picking out the name for another human being. This is what they're going to be known as for their entire lives, no pressure whatsoever. So I can remember we were driving in, in the car, and, and we had already picked out Ethan's first name. We knew he was going to be named Ethan, but we were still trying to figure out what his middle name was going to be. And so we were tossing around different names, saying different names along with the name Ethan. The only name that I knew was off the table was Allen. He was not going to be known as Ethan Allen, the furniture store. 
Although now that I think about it, we could have maybe had a lucrative side business selling furniture, maybe a missed opportunity there. So we tossed around different names, and when we, when we said the name Ethan Noah, we knew that this is what his name was going to be. The name Ethan means strong or firm, and the name Noah means rest or peace. And so in our choosing of his name, it is our desire that he will grow to be strong or firm in his faith and that he will be a peacemaker wherever he goes. So as we look to these names listed here in verse 6, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and and Prince of Peace, it's clear that, that these are not to be understood as his legal or official names. We know that his name was Jesus. But, but it would be understood that when, when the coming Messiah came into this world, that all of these characteristics, that all of these attributes that we find here listed, that, that they would be present in the person of the Messiah That in the Messiah, we would find our wonderful counselor. That in the Messiah, we would find our our eternal father. That we would find our mighty God. That we would find our prince of peace. And as we look at Jesus, we do see that these attributes are present in him. In Jesus, we have our wonderful counselor Matthew 12, 42, Jesus talks about his great wisdom, and he says this, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the generation, with this generation and condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Now Solomon was a king that was known for his great wisdom. But Christ here is pointing to a greater wisdom than than even Solomon had. Christ is pointing to a greater wisdom that is contained within himself. There is no greater wisdom than the wisdom that we find in Jesus Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of this name, Wonderful Counselor. And today today we have the promise that, that when it comes to Jesus, we can go to him with our worries. We can go to him with our our struggles. We can go to him with with our needs, whatever they might be. And we won't just find good counsel. We won't just find great counsel, but we will find the greatest counsel possible. There is no greater counsel than the counsel that we can find in Jesus because he is our wonderful counselor. So we see him as our wonderful counselor. We also see Jesus is our mighty God. Now the gospel of John is always a a great starting point for a new believer. It's also just a great starting point if you're looking for a a place to begin studying scripture, a place to begin reading, a place to begin learning about Jesus. And, and, And so oftentimes the book of John is a place that I will recommend for people to begin reading But in the Gospel of John, we see very clearly that Jesus is more than just a prophet, that Jesus was and is our mighty God. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus perform his first miracle when he turns 
water into wine at a wedding celebration. In John chapter 4, Jesus heals an official son. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a lame man by the pool of Bethesda. And in John chapter 6, not only does Jesus feed 5,000 plus people with only five loaves of bread and two fish, but he also walks on water. And that's in the first six chapters. We see Jesus time and time again revealing himself as our mighty God. And while the people continue to demand signs that Jesus was the Messiah, we look at Scripture and we see very clearly that Jesus was and is our mighty God in the flesh. Jesus was the incarnation of God himself. Jesus is our mighty God. So we see Jesus as our wonderful counselor. We see him as our mighty God. We also see Jesus as our eternal father. Now understand, Isaiah is not confusing the second part of the Trinity, God the Son, with the first part of the Trinity, God the Father. Remember, we are talking about descriptive attributes of Jesus here. So when Isaiah says that that Jesus is our eternal father he is saying that in the messiah in jesus there will eternally be characteristics of a father for us loving protective comforting and corrective at times jesus loves us just as a father would now let me just pause and say this we live in a a world and a culture where where fathers are less and less present in their children's lives, and, and, and maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe, maybe your father was not or is not present in your life. Maybe you have a strained relationship with your father, or maybe it's just that your father has, has passed away. If today, if that's you, the good news is, is that even when our earthly father is not present in our life, Jesus is And in Jesus, we have an eternal Father. But even further than that, because of his death on the cross, because Jesus both died and rose again through him, we are able to have access to our Heavenly Father, to God the Father himself. So we see Jesus as our wonderful counselor. We see him as our mighty God. We see him as our eternal Father. And we also see him as our Prince of Peace. Now, to fully understand the importance of this name, Prince of Peace, remember what I said at the beginning. Salvation is best understood when the need for judgment is realized. And so Romans 5.10 tells us that apart from Christ, we are enemies with God. I said this last week. And so... Meaning, meaning prior to our, our surrender to Christ, we are not at peace with God. And so if we die apart from Christ, if we die apart from turning from our sins, allowing for Jesus to be our Lord, we do not die at peace with God. Instead, we die as enemies to God and we receive God's eternal wrath upon ourselves. So one of the things that I see happens quite frequently when, when people pass away, especially well-known people, on Facebook, we begin seeing posting those three letters, R-I-P, rest in peace. 
But the sad truth is, is that unless someone has, has trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, regardless of how well-known the person might have been, the reality is, is that they will not be resting in peace. Their eternity will be an eternity of, of torment. And if that bothers you, and, and it should, it bothers me, if it bothers you, then may we be so moved to share the truth of the gospel, to share the truth of Christ with anyone and with everyone that will hear. That Jesus came into this world to die for their sins and that it is through him and through him alone that we are able to find eternal peace, that, that God's wrath is satisfied that we will no longer be enemies with God, but through Jesus, we will be his child. We will be his children. Jesus truly is our Prince of Peace. And coming to the cross and dying for our sins, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And so we see in Jesus' character, in his attributes, we see all of these names very present in who he is. So we see Jesus came, we see Jesus named. Finally this morning, we see Jesus reign. Let's look at the middle part of verse six again, and then we're gonna jump to verse seven. Middle part of verse six says, and the government will be on his shoulders. And verse six says, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. As we think about the, the government in, in our own country, especially in this highly politically divided time that we live in, how can we say that the government will be upon his shoulders? How can we say that, that his dominion will be vast? How can we say that his kingdom is established and sustained forever? First, let me answer this question with, with Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. It says, many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. In that verse, we are reminded that regardless of who is in earthly power, regardless of the plans of mankind, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It doesn't matter who sits on any man-made throne. It doesn't matter who's sitting behind the, the desk in the Oval Office. It is the, Lord purpose, the Lord's purpose that prevails. Politicians can scheme Politicians can plan, but the Lord's purpose in the end is what prevails. Now, we may not always understand his plans, but it is the Lord's purpose and plans that prevails. And so the government will be on his shoulders. But let me also answer these questions. How can the government be upon his shoulders? How can his dominion be vast? By reading you some thoughts by an author by the name of Gail D. Irwin. Erwin writes, whenever I see someone who, is mirac who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. 
Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising, I know who the governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know they are governed by God. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock God has given them, I know they are getting signals from the great king. When I see people leave family to live and teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not heard, I know they are governed by God. So indeed, the government is alive and working, often silently, mostly unseen. We can be and are, by choice, governed by God. So as we think about these words by this author, I want to ask a simple question. What does a king rule over? It's not a trick question. It's an easy answer. The king rules over a kingdom. And so as we allow Christ to be the Lord of our lives, as we allow for ourselves to be governed by his kingship, we become a part of his kingdom. And as we think about believers, not just in Texas, not just in the USA, but as we think about believers uh, around the world in, in different countries, like in Haiti, in different countries like in Cameroon, Africa, as we think about believers around the world submitting to the kingship of Jesus Christ, we can indeed say that his dominion is vast. And I love this great truth that we read in verse 7. His kingdom's prosperity will never end. It will be established and sustained, and Jesus will rule it from now on and forever. The kingdom that Jesus established, the kingdom that, that we are a part of as believers, is an unending kingdom. So in our political system here in, in America, we, we have term limits. But, but even after the first term for, for a president, we have, have another election. And so even if we find ourselves in, in this country with a good president, at some point in time, that president's rule or reign will come to an end. You could say, you could say that his kingdom is unending and, or, or is ending Therefore, we cannot put our trust and our hope in earthly leaders. We cannot put our trust and our hope in any president. We need to pray for our presidents. We need to pray for our earthly leaders. We need to pray that they themselves will be governed by God. But we cannot put our hope, our trust, or our faith in any earthly leader because they have a kingdom that will come to an end. Even in a country that has a dictator, at some point in time, their rule or reign will come to an end because they will not live forever. But God's kingdom, the, the kingdom that Jesus established, the kingdom that we are a part of as believers, that kingdom has no end. That kingdom continues into eternity and God's invitation to you today is that you would turn to Jesus, allowing him to be your king, that you might be a part of his kingdom. 
We see Jesus came, we see Jesus named, and we see Jesus reign. And today, if you're here and you would say you have never given your life to Christ, that as you look at your own life, you know that you are not a part of his kingdom, but today you're ready to become a part of his kingdom, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And so in just a moment, Becky's going to come and lead us in another song. And as we sing this song, this is going to be your opportunity to respond this morning. And if you're here today and you would say that I'm talking about you right now, that you've never given your life to Christ, you've never allowed him to be your Lord, but you want him to be, then I would invite you to respond. I'm going to be standing right down front. Step out of your seat as we sing. Come down here. Let's talk. Let's pray. Today, you can be a part of a kingdom that will never end as you submit to the lordship, to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're here today and you would say you've given your life to Christ. You're a believer, but maybe you just need to be reminded of one of those attributes of Jesus today. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. If you need to be reminded of one of those areas today, you can, you can allow God to remind you of that right where you're at. But if you need someone to pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. You can respond as well. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that next step of baptism. Listen, this is something that God calls all believers to do, to, to publicly profess our faith, faith through baptism. And so if we're going to say that Jesus is our king, then that means we're going to follow what he has called us to do. And so if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that next step of baptism, I would invite you to respond as well. Today, let's make that commitment together that you're going to publicly declare Jesus as Lord through baptism. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you've given your life to Christ and you have been baptized. And you've been visiting First Baptist Stockdale and you know that God's calling you to make this your church home. To come and connect your life with this body of believers here. So that we can be on mission together. To love, to grow, to serve, to go. So that we can fulfill the kingdom mission that God has given us here at this church. If God's calling you to join this church body then I would invite you to respond as well. Let's talk, let's pray. Today you can become a member here at First Baptist Stockdale. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, I would just encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.